0: Internet friends, And welcome back to Love-Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Boel. And
1: I'm Alex Ruiz. And under normal circumstances, we would be here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. But for several reasons, these are not normal circumstances. Um, you might think I'm talking about the quar, but uh, in actuality, this is just an episode that ends in a five. And because it's an episode that ends in a five, we have decided that we are going to do a special triple episode uh triple segment triple hate this time and is that the only thing that's different about the world andy is is that it that that, that this episode ends in a five and we decided that arbitrarily i mean because it's our podcast and we make the rules
0: <laughs> yes that is true we we are still living in the core there is still no end in sight we are uh we're going to work and, and home and back to work with with nothing in between. Um, other than that, nothing's different. But, you know, we, we, we decided we were going to talk about this specific topic. And a couple days later, Bernie Sanders officially dropped out. And I'm just gonna go ahead and call it We're three for three on jinxing shit (laughs) Uh,
1: To be fair To be fair He has not dropped out He has simply ended active campaigning Which effectively means he dropped out But his name is still on a bunch of ballots That aren't gonna mean shit Because American politics y'all
0: Something very hateable right now for sure Uh you know, we were having this lovely little pre-talk. We were, we were talking about comic books and 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 traveling, and, and th- that was nice. Uh, um, I was
1: going to say, what was nice about it, Andy? I told you that I do most of my comic book reading while traveling because I can put them on a tablet, and I'm not traveling right now.
0: No, but it was nice to think about the concept of traveling. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know how just quickly we want to dive into eviscerating like where modern american politics are if we want to just just ease people in gently like it's a hot tub god i miss hot tubs like my community pool was one of the first things to get closed down um when all of this started and that feels like three goddamn months ago and it was probably closer to like 30, 40 days ago.
1: For reference, um, okay, so we're recording this on April the 9th. uh, And it's coming out, I think, at the beginning of May. So this this joke, not a joke, this observation, but this funny, depressing observation is still relevant. I was listening to a podcast today, and they mentioned... um, Andy, do you remember the government shutdown, the longest government shutdown in history that happened last year
0: i was about to say is this like the most recent one yeah
1: yes do you remember that that was last year that was 2019 andrew
0: you could see you don't even have to talk about that you could sit here and be like hey you remember christmas (laughs) christmas was last year (laughs) christmas wasn't five years ago christmas was not even five months ago (laughs) I'm just... Everything's (laughs) moving so
1: slow. Everything. And there's a new event happening every day. I have a rule now, and I think I might have mentioned this on on a previous episode. I'm now, like, only listening to the news on weekdays. uh, And on the weekends, I'm like, nope. I am listening to nothing but music. I've come up with my next love topic based entirely off of my choir listening. Um you you got y'all will learn about that in a couple of weeks but like i i used to thrive on data andrew i used to be really happy about the fact that i could recall entire rocket power scripts and the years of certain like really important constitutional documents and treaties and now i just wish i could be shiny and dumb <laughs>
0: oh man you're gonna give me a whole hundred dollars for all of my songs
1: Uh, and like uh i can't be but i have this podcast where i can vent and yell about things and something yeah and i can learn stuff from you and i can teach you things and for some reason some people listen to us so cheers to y'all i'm drinking
0: i should be yeah (laughs) (laughs) Listener, you're uh, you're more than likely in your car, so even though it's the core, I, I hope you're not drinking, but metaphorical cheers anyway.
1: I mean, statistically speaking, most of you are most of you may or may not be in a car. A lot of you might be in your homes because you're either unemployed or working from them. Andy's still going into an office. I'm going into an office sometimes and working from home the rest of the time.
0: This Okay, so this will be a a great segue into government. Like, you know, I I work for somebody who's a small business owner, and he's been very up to speed about, you know, all the different loans and all the different, like, government things that are supposed to keep people employed and okay. And so, you know, we were very up to date on the – when there was a Florida stay-at-home order – You know, we we very quickly, like that afternoon, we're like looking up, okay, what counts as an essential business? Are we legally uh, allowed slash supposed to keep the doors open or are we supposed to keep them shut? And, you know, turned out that media in, in all of its vagueness is considered an essential service which on the one hand, I, I understand, you know, you, you need to have the news, you need to have the radio stations. Those are both listed separately. It was specifically radio news and other media entities. And I've had at least more than one day where I've stolen a paycheck and watched Netflix the whole time. So I just find it at least a little comical. Um, what is and is not considered essential right now.
1: Sure. I mean, and I'll be completely honest with you. I'm working in the nonprofit governmental sector. I'm considered essential for, um, eh. like, I'm not essential like a grocery store worker is essential, but I'm essential like the way certain governmental Programs are essential, although my job is a little questionable about that. Really, the reason I'm essential to my job is because I'm the designated millennial and I'm teaching a bunch of boomers how to use Dropbox (laughs) on a day and reteaching them the next day. Uh, But but like I hear that question about media and I go, "Okay, why is it that like if they're separating out news Why is it that my friends in the publishing industry have had to close down? Why do I have friends who work uh, production out in LA and they're shut down, even though there's a media exception? Yeah, like there's an argument to be had, and I'm and I don't tend to argue for more legalistic explanations of shit, but like. My st- my state stay at home order just got extended indefinitely and I read the statement like I read the governmental statement on it and it said that it was enforcing it by encourage by having the police basically like encourage voluntary uh compliance like what the fuck does that mean are you going to s- are you going to fine people for being outside or aren't you like just be explicit about that please
0: yeah meanwhile um at time of recording it has been less than a week since the governor of georgia learned that this disease was communicable via like microbe liquids like, I don't remember the guy's name, but I've got people. Brian Kemp. Okay. So, Brian Kemp. So I've got plenty of people in Georgia who, who made it clear to me uh, Brian Kemp, Governor Brian Kemp, didn't know how fucking coronavirus worked until the beginning of April. Alex, uh, we I think it's time today to talk about what we hate about the okay. government. <laughs> but, I mean, it's... it's specifically okay so,
1: okay, so y'all read the title, um, and if we feel, we seem a little punchy, sorry, we've barely left our homes, except to go to work, which is stupid right now for both of us, if... If the title is slightly confusing, um, part of that I blame myself for because Andy was like, hey, should we talk about the entirety of American politics as a triple hate? (laughs) And I said, no, let's try and narrow this down, which is fair. Which, like, yeah, because if we're going to talk about the totality of American politics, we're not going to scratch a surface in an hour. And who knows? We might be here 10 episodes from now doing this again on redlining or on some other bullshit. I'm sure gerrymandering. Who the fuck knows? We'll find our ways. But, like, I felt like this, like, this idea here, talking about the two-party system in the United States of America is a really, really solid starting point for an ongoing conversation about how fucked the American political system is. So, Party? Party. Are we... (laughs) uh, Andrew WK, we need you right now. So, Andy, you... Based based on nothing more than the fact that you sent the first email of (laughs) notes on this... Um, do you want to get us started on here or would you like me to?
0: Yeah, I'll go, I'll go ahead and get us started. I mean, you know, we had discussed exactly how off the cuff we were going to go and we leaned pretty clearly, but I mean, I've been accused of thinking that things are commonplace knowledge when they've needed to be explained before. So, you know, specifically we're talking about the, the phenomena in American government where every election it is either Republican or Democrat, because I mean, technically we don't live in a, in a, in a strictly two party system. You know, there's, there's, there's the green party and you know, there's always these little tiny itty, itty bitty only mentioned because they're the third person running um, tertiary political campaigns, but by and large, it has just become like the way we do it. And it's been this way for a long, long, long time where the only two parties that matter are Republican Democrat. You know, you're either red, you're blue, or you don't think of such things and you don't vote when the time comes. And, we're gonna talk this episode about why we feel by and large that is a bad thing, but or, or or not that it in and of itself is a bad thing, but the real life negative effects that have seeped into our government because of this dependent on the two party system.
1: Yeah. And I mean that tell me if this is a good example or not, Andy. Um, You mentioned that we technically don't have a two-party system, at least maybe not on paper. We also technically don't have segregation because segregation has been outlawed at every level of government, and yet look at a racial uh, distribution map of the city of Chicago and tell me we don't have segregation again, please.
0: Absolutely, And, you know, just, just tie it back into, you know, the new normal of Corona quarantine. I can recall within the past week, seeing dozens of Twitter posts showing that, you know, the, the more prominently minority districts of, I believe it was Wisconsin specifically had huge Voter shutdown measures in place where it was like they went from like 21 polling places to two in the entire county or something like that. And, you know, it just so happened that that was one of the most predominantly African American parts of the state. You know, the parts that probably are voting blue. Yeah. But without even getting into gerrymandering or the pseudo illegal bullshit that, you know, our government puts voters through in order to hold strangleholds over certain powers. There's just, this is a really big issue. You know, this is such a big issue that I sit here and go, yeah, we really, I'm glad we're not trying to tackle all of American politics in one go here because this is like, I, I'm here to talk today about how, you know, voter apathy has become such a thing and this same old same old oh the okay lester of two evils well you know what i'm not gonna do the lesser of two evils i'm going it like i I, in a roundabout way i think the two-party system is why voter turnout has plummeted in such a way it's it's part of it um i could
1: see that i could definitely see that i mean I've been, up, I've been up front on this podcast more than once that I'm a huge fan of George Carlin and Bill Hicks. Uh, and both of those comedians were in the 80s doing long bits about the pointlessness of voting. And a lot of that came down to talking about how it didn't matter if you were dealing with Democrats or with Republicans. You were dealing with frankly, a whole lot of corporatist, chill-out bullshit. Yeah. And And I love Carlin. I love Hicks. There's a Carlin bit about how he stays home at elections that has not aged very well, but I got where he was coming from at that point in time. And that level of apathy, I think in those bits, really does come from a rage at that lack of choice that exists between those two
0: parties. I'm going to take two micro tangents because this is stuff that is popping into my head, but is, I feel like, very relevant. One of my favorite comic books is Warren Ellis' Transmetropolitan. I've talked about it on the show before, though it hasn't been a topic. It's, you know, I, I brought it up when we talked about Hunter S. Thompson because that's basically the main character um mm-hmm. One of the primary antagonists in, in transmetropolitan is that universe is President of the United States. And he is this reviled, coded, to be Republican, although they never use that word um, figure who is simply known as the Beast. And at at one point early in the series, our hero, Spider Jerusalem, has a private one-on-one interview with the Beast. And the guy talks about his ideology and the system he believes in, which he believes to be right and he believes to be what the American people truly believe. And that system is it is the president's job to make sure that 51% of the population goes to bed comfortable and with food in their bellies and fuck the other 49. All that matters is a majority um, acceptance, even if they're not necessarily happy about it. And that feels like kind of where a lot of this problem stems for me is it seems like we're, we're not even talking about 51% of the actual population. All, all we're talking about is the even smaller number. And by we, I mean, you know, the political parties that run our country only care about the even smaller fraction of a number where it's like, we only care about 51% of the people who actually show up to vote. And that's all we need. Yeah. And I tie this into the two party system because we're, we're going to be referencing an article from Vox, or at least I am, uh, more than once while we talk. And the, it, it's a really nice article. It talks about how, you know, once upon a time, the two-party system was praised, especially in European countries, for its moderation. And the, you know, kind of the, the logical conceit as well. You don't want there to be so many political parties where somebody can get a majority vote and that majority vote is 26%. And it's just no other political party got 26%. So you have a fourth of the country dictating your policy and and electing your president. You don't want that. It has to be the actual majority. It has to be the actual 51% of the population. Thereby, there can only be two sides. We can only split this pie in half and somebody, you know, gets that extra sliver of a majority. And I mean, I think without getting too technical into it, though, we will get technical into it. That's what started the whole thing that's what this became as is just well we don't want to be like a parliament where some uh, you know somebody can have a 33% ruling vote and then dictate policy for an entire country that's not fair and yet we've blown away from that so much where now it just is the no we only care about that 51% of the people who actually show up and we're gonna make sure we do this, this, and this to get there. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. But no, you're good. I, okay, um, it might be useful at this point to to do a history lesson of sorts, children. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Um, so I'm going to just go ahead and make an unfair assumption and assume everyone here is familiar with Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> now, now, I, I don't even need to go to Hamilton. I can go to your standard, you know, middle school civics. Uh, not that civics is well taught in this country. But um, historically speaking, there's a clear divide. that is The two party system has always existed in this country, like from its founding. Um, A lot of people like to throw out how George Washington, the first president, was elected without being part of any party and how he, you know, did not really declare himself to be a member of any party. And he said that, you know, a lot is made of that. A lot of it is crap. At the end of the day, like uh, at the end of the day, George Washington filled his cabinet with federalists and and. And that's the end of that story. Like, it doesn't matter what he said. His actions will speak louder. Um, At the founding of this country, we had two parties whose principal philosophies are the same as what is typically argued are the principal philosophies of Democrats versus Republicans. You've got the federal government people, the people who think that the nation, like, like, that that the nation's power should rest at the federal level, and you've got the states' rights people, and there's a whole nother argument to be made about the question of the states' right argument. I'm not going to get into that, but at the founding, it was the Federalists versus the Democratic Republicans. That was where you had your Alexander Hamiltons and your John Adamses who were federally minded uh, and believed that important decisions should be made at the federal level, and then you had Democratic Republicans like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison who thought that the nation should function more as a confederation of individual nation-states and federal power should be super restricted. Thomas Jefferson famously said that the federal government should basically handle the census, the post office, they should mint money, and sometimes handle the military. And that was it. Like, Madison literally wrote in the Bill of Rights that any power not explicitly given to the federal government should be reserved to the states. And... From there, it has basically continued in that vein. When the Federalists died, the Democratic-Republicans split. Part of them became the Democrats we know today who continue to be federally minded. Part of them became the Whigs who, like, honestly were kind of states rights-ish. They they were really disorganized all the way through. I'm not going to get into the history of the Whig Party on this podcast. (laughs) Um, You can Wikipedia that shit. Fuck you, Martin Van Buren. Martin Van Buren is okay, which is where we get the term okay. But when the Whigs collapsed, they absorbed themselves into the Republican Party, the party of Lincoln, which were essentially a bunch of states' rights people who believed slavery shouldn't be a thing. And from there on, we have Democrats and Republicans, and they have changed a lot over the years, y'all. They I'm just gonna say that.
0: <laughs> they, they have, In a lot of ways! Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> In a lot of ways. Basically, you fast forward to the 60s and, like, fucking LBJ signs the Civil Rights Act purely for political exper- expediency. He didn't actually give a shit about civil rights. Uh, And then all the Dixiecrats became Republicans because they were racists. There you go. If you want to talk about how the religious right became a Republican question, Most religious people for a long time, especially in the South, were historically Democrats. You know, Richard Nixon was fucking pro-choice, y'all. And then you get to the Reagan era, and Reagan decides that he's going to court the evangelical vote. All the evangelicals become Republicans. Like, none of this has ever been fully set. But at its core, you have the the federal power people and the state power people. How effective that's been hit or miss because any like you want you want to tell me that george w bush was being being was having a good mind about states rights when the patriot act happened like fuck out of here it's not a thing like it is a great lie that we have told ourselves but it is generally been the narrative that we have surrounded this question with does that does that seem like a good primer andy
0: no, it does. It absolutely does, and I thank you for it, you know. I mean, I I appreciate you giving a historical context because so much of what I want to talk about is the modern take, but but for the modern take to really make any sense, we we need to know where we came from.
1: Let's assume that Centralized federal power and centralized state and local power are a spectrum. Where do you, my dear Andrew Richard Boel, lie on that spectrum? Do you think more power... I'm going to assume you're not all the way one side or the other.
0: No, I I don't think most people truly are. I mean, I... I suppose I would prefer, and maybe this is just how maybe this is one of the last facets of just how I was raised and I've never really questioned it. I think I tend to lean more of federal powers having more control than the state powers and it being more of a, you know, all 50 States across the board. This is the policy. This is how we do it because I think that's what actually makes us a country. You know, we talk about how, Um, Jefferson wanted the United States to be a series of states that, you know, were more loosely grouped together. And that just makes me think of all of the, um, you know, the, the fiefdoms of England and France and the fact that, you know, Burgundy used to be its own place that was a kingdom. And, you know, Burgundy is a couple of planes in Northern France. Like the thing that makes us the United States of America is a unified governing body. And I would trust that we could put the right people in power to do what I consider to be the right thing for all 50 States. Um, so that's where I lean. Okay.
1: I get that I'm gonna tell you something that might surprise you I mean might not I have no idea Um, if you were to ask me to strictly identify on a question of whether I think government should be more focused on a federal level or on a state and local level if that's the only if that's the only two options you give me with zero additional context I would probably say state and local, which to anyone who knows me, to hear me say (laughs) that I would line up with what is argued as the Republican position sounds batshit insane. But that, I think, is really illustrative of the problem here. If I identify with any political philosophy, I would probably identify, roughly speaking, as like... An anarcho-socialist
0: sure that sounds right
1: <laughs> yeah and what what would an anarcho-socialist say an anarcho-socialist would basically say okay I believe that uh, power should always be decentralized as much as possible um, to wit you you brought up the question of the 51% governing situation uh, that's outlined in that article that we're going to that we're going to link to in the show notes it's called uh why america's two party system is on a collision course with our Car- constitutional democracy really great article that you found but um the question being like okay 25% of the populace electing a federal government that then that then controls the totality of the country the anarchist or the anarcho socialist response to that would be why does that centralized federal power have so much authority? Dismantle the authority. Yeah, because it's anti-authoritarian at the end of the day. So the attitude I would have would be okay. Things should be organized at a state and local level. We should be allocating resources for that for that level. Uh, communities should be what are guiding principles in terms of organizing society, and communities. I would argue it should be organized at as small a level as your neighborhood. Fucking never mind, you know, city, state, county, all that shit. It should be as, as simple as, like, your actual fucking neighborhood. And then any centralized federal power, any any guiding principle along that line, needs to justify itself constantly. It's not that anarchists are anti-anarchists. Any kind of government. That's a misnomer. They're anti any kind of unjustified authoritarianism. So I'm cool with the federal government maintaining the interstate system that we all use. I'm okay with that because that shouldn't be handled at a local level because local municipalities don't have the resources or necessarily the populations or funds to maintain that. That should be federal. That's justified. The federal government means testing welfare. That's another question.
0: Sure. And and you're saying a lot of things that I jive with. I get into this thought loop in my head because on like a personal level, I'm more unhappy with how our two-party system actually is, then I'm unhappy with the fact that we have a two-party system. Um, in, in that Vox article, my my favorite part um, that I, I want to specifically talk about, there's a section uh, subtitled, The Problem with Quote-Unquote Moderate Parties. And so back in the 1950s, there was a political science report That I'm going to read a quote from and it was basically saying, hey, here's how we see shit's going to go bad. If the two parties do not develop alternative programs that can be executed, the voters frustration with the mounting ambiguities of national policy might also set in motion more extreme tendencies to the political left and the political right. This, again, would represent a condition to which neither our political institutions nor our civic habits are adapted. Once a deep political cleavage develops between opposing groups, each group naturally works to keep it deep. Such groups may gravitate beyond the confines of the, political, of the American system of government and its democratic institutions. Assuming a survival of the two-party system in form, though not in spirit... Even if one of the diametrically opposite parties comes to flirt with unconstitutional means and ends, the consequences would be serious. For then the constitution-minded electorate would be virtually reduced to a one-party system with no practical alternative to holding to a safe party at all costs.
1: We should mention this article came out two years ago, (laughs) y'all.
0: And what I just read came out 70 goddamn years ago. 70 years ago they were saying hey yeah uh, one of these two systems is going to just start fucking cheating and and, you know doing a by all means necessary and leaning into the extremism of its side of the political spectrum and one of them like the other probably isn't and that's going to really cause some issues holy shit
1: sure So let's talk about the elephant and the donkey in the room. Um, (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I've been working on it all night. Um, So let's take as read that the Republic, the current day Republican Party underneath Donald Trump has in... I'm trying to be as generous as I can with this because I really don't want to... I, I want to I wanna come off more fair than partisan. But let's say the Republican Party under Donald Trump has strayed from a fair number of assertions it made about itself going back the last, let's say, five decades. Fair?
0: Absolutely fair.
1: Okay. So... I would view that as an authoritarian bent. I would view that as a highly corrupt bent. I would say I'm someone who does not like Democrats. Like, I do not like the Democratic Party. I registered as a Democrat when I was 17 because I understood that to be the party that most jived with my principles. And I went independent before 2012 because I had a lot of severe problems with the Obama administration. I still voted for Obama for a second term as a means of harms reduction. And we can talk more about that later. But I've been an independent for a fair number of years now. More voting years than not. The thing is... There are people now who have been lifelong Republicans who cling to the principles of that party over the people in that party and are now faced with the question of do I vote for Donald Trump and his administration and his acolytes who represent something far and away against any of the principles that I personally hold dear or do I vote for the Democrats that I have fought against forever? Um, Andy, I try not to be this guy too often on the podcast, but I'm trying to picture that fight for an evangelical Christian. I know you're not evangelical, but you are a Christian. Yeah. And I know you know evangelicals. um. And I'm sitting here going, okay, there are evangelicals here who have not gaslit themselves into believing that donald trump is like jesus's emissary brought to the united states um because we're not even going to talk about that (laughs) subsection but there are people but honestly there are people who truly believe in you know word and like philosophy of jesus issues with the rich um leaning against the kind of Sin and corruption and evil that this administration represents, and they have to sit here and go, okay, I either need to vote for a man who I know is cruel, committing unspeakable acts of terror and horror against the marginalized, the poor, Uh, the refugee, the all the people that, you know, my Lord and Savior has told me to protect, or I need to vote for somebody who's pro-choice.
0: It's because God is powerful, but also insecure.
1: There are a lot of people for whom that one issue is their one issue. It's one of the things that makes me, like... As much as I'm into this, the local government organization, I can never vote for a Republican, or at least not a mainstream Republican, because I will never vote for a pro-life candidate. My ethics do not allow that of me, because bodily autonomy, to me, is more important than the foundations of government.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I I, I can tell you, as, as the man on the inside, as it were... Um, <laughs> There are a couple of people who do not let their faith dictate political policy. There are other people still who have such a zealous devotion that they just believe, well, whatever happens, it must be the good thing and so it doesn't even matter and then there are plenty of people and and i'll tell you i i go to a church where the guy at the pulpit regularly denounces donald trump and the republican party as a whole but there are people within the congregation who you can just tell have talked themselves into that one issue. Like you said, it's well got to vote for the pro-life people got to vote for the Mike Pence's. Yeah. Trump's kind of a monster, but the people around him are like, you know, the ones actually acting in my best interests. And (laughs) I mean, it doesn't jive with me at all. Um, it's so easy for anybody to talk themselves into anything. I've got a work colleague, this guy I, I really uh, am, a, am a friend with and respect. He's an older sound guy, and he you know did hard drugs for the middle 30 years of his life and is a complete and utter hippie and a giant Doctor Who fan and likes going to drag shows and is like super chill with you know, the LGBT community and also is one of the most diehard Trump supporters I've ever met because the way he sees it with the Republicans in power, he gets more money. He doesn't have to worry about his social security and this guy will sit here and just twist around any issue into something laughable or, or, or make Trump into something to be idolized because he's the one who's got the balls to really shake up all the politicians. And it's a good thing that he has no political experience. Damn it. And it's, it's you know, these rabbit holes we could merrily hop down are, are why I'm sitting here going, yeah, it's a good thing. We didn't try to do all of politics in one go because all of these, like, you know, Bad Christians or the evangelical right or (laughs) any of these topics could and probably will be hates on their own.
1: I mean, yes. I will say, okay, so you brought up something that makes me think of an interesting thought. Okay, so you mentioned that this particular individual says that with the Republican Party in power, his social security will be more safe. You said that specifically. Has he said that to you explicitly?
0: Um, I'm trying to remember if it was said specifically to me or if it was said in passing. But you
1: have heard him say that he thought his Social Security was safer with Republicans. Yes. Okay. See, this gets me into an interesting thing that we didn't actually write about in our notes, but I think might be worth talking about. Social Security, every administration since Reagan... Democrat or Republican, has borrowed against Social Security, has been raiding the Social Security Treasury for other shit. Clinton did it. Obama did it. Reagan did it. Both Bushes did it. And Donald Trump's doing it. Your Social Security's never been safe. Not with either party. And that's... We... Something we didn't think to talk about in our notes, Andrew, was how the two parties are... How many ways they're the exact fucking same.
0: Sure. Yeah. Have you seen Bullworth?
1: No, I don't know what that is. Tell me.
0: Bullworth is one of my dad's absolute favorite movies. And it is a... Comedy is not quite the right word, but it's basically about... He's either a senator or a congressman or he's somebody who's running for power. Here here we go. Okay. It's a Warren Beatty movie. A suicidally disillusioned liberal politician puts a contract out on himself and takes the opportunity to be bluntly honest with his voters by affecting the rhythms and speech of hip-hop music and culture. That is the synopsis on IMDb. It's a movie about this guy who gets so disillusioned that he starts telling it like it is. And there's this famous scene where he is talking to an all black church about all of the you know horrible things about the Republican Party and then turns immediately right around. And, and the quote is something like, and the Democrats don't give any more of a shit about you, but they know if they pretend to, you'll vote for them. Yeah, And it's really like that part Specifically that is the one part of the movie that has Resonated with me In, in the same way that You know you're alluding to you the Democratic
1: Party don't care About the African American community Isn't that obvious hey, You got half of your kids out of work and the other half Are in jail do you see any Democrat doing anything about it So we mentioned that at the time of recording Like the Sanders campaign Has suspended itself And let's be frank, the Biden campaign has sailed into this primary, not entirely, but very largely on the back of black and brown voters who basically just have fond memories of the Obama administration. You know, I... And even then, there's some of them from before that who are just party-line... De- I've, I've talked a lot about how my parents are party-line Democrats. Hey, Mom, how's it going? Um, I love you. You're a party-line Democrat. I respect you. Um, I don't agree with you, but I respect you. But, um, you know, they have fond memories of Joseph Biden from the 80s and 90s for some reason. Um And they were they were all in on Biden even before, like, I think they would have voted for Biden over Obama, to be honest, back in the day. But Biden, Biden was fucking homies with Strom Thurmond, (laughs) racist ass segregationist Strom Thurmond. And people tout that like it's like, 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 it's a good thing. Like it's something that shows his ability to reach out and compromise.
0: And, and and go ahead. Well, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt your point. Um You're good. No, please. That that ties me back into what I was talking about earlier with that, you know, that 70-year-old political science quote I talked about and and this is a little bit of the wound is still fresh on me and a little bit of personal frustration, but just like, you know, we've seen over the past 5 years now one party just lean into the vicious hateful i'm gonna get psychos to vote for me because turns out there's a lot of psychos who really uh were in the closet about how psychotic they were policy and i feel like the democratic party did this with Hillary Clinton. And now they're doing this again with Joe Biden of this thing of trying to soft shoe in this. He's basically a Democrats Republican. And, and that's the reason why you should vote for him. A Republican affiliated person who says they don't like Donald Trump. We got you. It's okay. Okay. One party is leaning as hard as it can, at least from what I can see into one side of the political spectrum and giving us our Steve Kings, our Brian Mm -hmm. Kemps, our Donald Trumps and the other of our two party system. The other major political party is trying to like meander into the middle And hope that that's enough and that they can pull that way. And it didn't work with Hillary. And that's not even getting into the famous fact that, you know, electoral votes stole that election and the actual number majority of actual people voting told a different tale. It didn't work for Hillary and I have very little optimistic hope that it's going to work for Joe Biden. And I don't know if I'd be more hopeful in a realistic sense, if things were the opposite and it turned out Joe, Joe Biden did go missing in the opening days of Corona. Not that I wish anything ill against the man, but you know, if we were sitting here looking at a, bernie versus trump you know if if bernie was the friggin candidate i don't know if realistically i'd be thinking he has much more of a chance but god i'd be a lot more fucking hopeful that this could be the thing that turns the apathetic millennials into the next strong voting block and and we get a a nice blue wave to counteract all the red color of blood bullshit that we're subjected to nowadays.
1: I need to be clear about something. I voted for Bernie Sanders in my state's primary. It didn't ultimately matter. The state went to Joe Biden. Fine. I knew that was going to happen. I knew it when I, when I voted, but I still voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary. Bernie Sanders is less left than I would like to be. Sure. Like, there's... Are you familiar with the concept of the Overton window, Andrew?
0: (laughs) My dad has a copy of the Glenn Beck novel, The Overton Window. (laughs) So, yes.
1: Are you shitting me? There is a Glenn Beck novel... Do you know what the philosophical concept of the Overton window is? Well,
0: now I've got to double check, because in the book, the Overton window is the fucking shadow government 1% that actually controls everything. That is 100% not what the Overton window
1: means! Oh my god! (laughs) Oh, oh, oh dear Jesus. Glenn Beck, what the fuck? Okay, so... The Overton window is a concept uh, come up with by a political theorist named Joseph Overton. Uh, The idea is that there is a window of acceptable discourse in any kind of political system where it's like this is the range between more freedom and less freedom Are arguably left or right authoritarian versus libertarian, little L libertarian, Mm, not like, sure. Yeah. Um, Where like, it's okay to talk about being this left or this liberal or this free and this right and this authoritarian and this not free. Uh, And that it's essentially a window of right versus left that a, a, a spectrum, and in the full spectrum of potential political thought, ranging from let's destroy all governments and all live for ourselves, and let's go full like dystopian slash utopian, whatever you want to call it, everything is controlled at a governmental level. Um, nineteen eighty four plus, like. On that spectrum, there is a window inside of it in which you can have political discourse. And the phrase shifting the Overton window essentially means that level of acceptable discourse shifting. If you were to go to, say, Europe, the Overton window is significantly more center or left of center than it is here in the United States, which is to say, in... In Germany, post-World War II, and I don't mean immediately post-World War II, I mean in the decades following World War II, it was acceptable to discuss the conceit of reparations to the Jewish people, mm. which is considered a very leftist idea. Here in the United States, the and, and not only is it conceivable in Germany, it became a discussed topic for long enough and it was central enough in the Overton window that they passed reparations to the Jewish people for the Holocaust. Here in the United States, there has been a senator, I don't remember his name, but there is a senator who has introduced a bill to study, not to pass reparations, to, to allocate a few thousand dollars to study the potential ramifications, effectiveness, and how you would carry out reparations to descendants of African-American slaves in the United States. Mm. And it, he has introduced it every year for, I think around 12 or 13 years that he's been in Congress and it has never gotten a pass vote. So for the, for, for, for an idea there in Germany, not only the idea of reparations were so center inside of the Overton window that they were even able to discuss it on the floor of parliament, write a bill, sign a bill, do the whole shebang. And here, we can't even get a bill properly voted on and passed to allocate a few thousand dollars to study how you might do this.
0: On today's episode of how fucked up is fucked up, that's
1: fucked up. Yeah. in the United States in the United States the Overton window is super right so much so that party line Democrats like my wonderful parents say things like well Bernie Sanders is too much of a socialist that could never work here in the United States when I'm sitting here going like in most of Europe Bernie Sanders would be a little left of center a little bit left of center, but we don't have a conceit for that here No, because of where the Overton window is.
0: Just b- before we get out of this, uh, uh, it, it is an entirely separate topic. And, and it's one that, you know, for, for us who grew up in Florida is a lot more prescient to discuss how you know, I, I know a lot of people who came from Cuba or, you know, various other Latin American countries who sure. hate Sanders and call him a socialist because they remember Castro. And I, I think that is a topic for another time. Just just because I need to inject a, a little bit of joy into this, I, I would like to read <laughs> you the Goodreads synopsis of Glenn Beck's The Overton window.
1: Oh my god, please.
0: There is a powerful technique called the Overton Window that can shape our lives, our laws, and our future. It works by manipulating public perception so that ideas previously thought of as radical begin to seem acceptable over time. Move the window, and you change the debate. Change the debate, and you change the country. (laughs) I haven't thought about this book for years, but I remember my dad telling me about it because this was at the height of like his Glenn Beck fascination. And he, he was trying to get me to read this. Like it'd be the next fucking Atlas shrugged or something. Um, and I, I, I had finally, like I was well into breaking away from my Republican parents and forming my own political ideologies at the time. But all of that to say, you're you're so incredibly right that back in the Obama era, uh, you know, a, a right-wing TV nut job wrote a book about this concept as a, a way to, you know, say without saying that we were getting too radical as a Democratic gundry. I'm just. You don't have to travel that
1: far, right. Andrew. Like. I'm sorry, Germany is not a liberal bastion. <laughs> no. England is not a liberal bastion. They still use the N word there a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's so I I'm I'm recalling the previews for American Horror Story: Cult. And a character screaming and weeping in tears the night Trump won. And I mean, I'm a lot closer to tears now than I was when I first saw that. Um, but like where I'm going with all of this is it's it's hard to not just sound like we're bemoaning where things are right now if we were in year three of the second Clinton administration, I don't know if we'd still be talking about the two-party system. I, I think we probably would. Maybe it, I was going to say, I I would definitely. Well, yeah. Still yeah. Be you definitely it. would be my man. Um, and we would probably still be quarantined. Although, you know, we would have had the fucking guy whose job it is to manage mass pandemics, in the government still have a job. Um, this isn't one we're going to find an answer to. And and I'm not trying to wrap us up. We're still, we still got plenty of time, but just like I keep, I, I said it before in this episode, I keep running through like this logic loop in my head where I'm sitting here being like, you know what I wish? I wish that even though Sanders is most likely, not going to be the democratic candidate. I wish that he could still run for president. I wish that there wasn't this unspoken rule and, and maybe it's not an unspoken rule. Maybe it's people pointing out that, well, technically Joe Biden beat him. If he can't even beat Joe Biden, do we want to split the numbers of blue voters So much and just give Trump an easy victory. I, I keep like, I keep thinking about what I want and then I think about it for a couple of minutes and then I see like logically how it doesn't work. Going back to the thing I said, like, I, I don't think I would want to live under a political system where somebody can get 29% of the votes. And no other party got 29% of the vote. So now this this entity that is less of a third of the country is running the show. I don't think I'd want that unless it was like like the the literal actual good party. Then maybe I would. Um,
1: That's the thing. What is the good party? Yeah. Absolutely. Because I... Like, my political existence since 2012 has been, do I vote for the bad party or do I vote for the less bad party? Right. And there are people, there are people who in my, there are people out there who will call themselves reasonable, who truly believe themselves to be reasonable, who will say, well, yeah, that's just how politics works. And okay. I I get where they're coming from with that. There's a lot of people on my Facebook feed who will post up, just who will regularly just post up shitty things that Donald Trump does, and they just say, look what third-party voters did for us. And I, I get that anger. Again, I made my own choice to vote for Hillary Clinton, a person who I honestly believe should be tried for war crimes in The Hague, and I voted for her. I have said this to my parents and they don't understand what I'm talking about. (laughs) Fine. I don't need them to. I love them anyway. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, guys. I don't want to. He's a rapist and he will probably be a war criminal in his own right once he has federal power, but I'm going to vote for him. And here's the point. As a means of harm reduction.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, if we had a Clinton presidency right now, I would be spending all of, my, all of my, like, activism time calling representatives and telling them to oppose whatever shit Hillary Clinton was doing in the Middle East right now. Whatever racist-ass discriminatory policy she would be supporting right now. Instead, I'm doing it with Donald Trump, who is keeping children in cages, which, yes, started under Obama, but ramped up under Donald Trump. I'd be doing the same shit regardless of party. But I'd have an easier time of it under a Clinton presidency. I will or would or might have an easier time of it under a Joe Biden presidency. But there isn't representation for people who think like me. And I think think like you as well. Like You and I have never sat down and had a full, like, let's have a quiz about what each other's individual politics are. <laughs> but, like... I know you agree with me on more things than not, yes. though I don't think you're quite where I am. And I respect that. But it's a problem when your voting is a me- is a matter of harms reduction. Like, it's literally me going, okay, who's going to be the easier opponent? Who's going to be the person that I'm going to fight less? Like, the best... E- The best metaphor I've heard for this is needle exchanges. Okay. We know, we know that there are people who are going to inject harmful substances into their bloodstream. That's going to happen. We cannot stop it. Literally 50 years of the drug war have shown we cannot stop that. That's going to happen. People are going to inject really horrible shit into their veins. And making it a crime doesn't help. Creating harsh punishments doesn't help. The personal destruction that can result from it doesn't help. One of the consequences of this, and I don't say consequences from a, like, this is a punishment you deserve. I say consequences from a, this is a thing that legitimately destroys people. Aspect is the is every ounce of disease and danger that follows using dirty needles. So, a handful of cared caring communities set up needle exchanges where it's listen, we can't stop you, we know we can't stop you, so let's at least do one thing that will make things less likely for you to get sick or die and set up a needle exchange so that you can, if you're going to do this anyway, you can at least have clean needles. In practice, it results in fewer deaths. Fewer deaths and fewer sicknesses means more opportunities for people to maybe get better, for this to be dealt with. And frankly, a lot of needle exchanges also advertise rehabs. And mental health services and addiction recovery services and free ones and counseling and things that legitimately help people. Do they all do they solve the problem? No, but they reduce harm. So I support needle exchanges. And I will vote for Joe Biden, who is gonna be less horrible than Donald Trump as a means of harm reduction for people who look like me. Yeah. And who have darker skin than me. And more marginalized, unlucky people than I am. And everybody who I think deserves a shot at a an existence with dignity. They're not going to get that under Joe Biden, but they're going to be closer than they are under Donald Trump. And it's fucking bullshit.
0: Yeah. It's, it's also a, a really excellent point. You know, I'm... I'm going to admit something that I, I haven't talked about on this show yet. In 2016, I voted for Gary Johnson because I was so committed. Really? I was so committed to, well, so so here's the thing. In 2016, I voted for Gary Johnson. In 2012, I voted for Roseanne Barr. Hey. Because I've been so committed to the, I don't like either. I'm going to pick this one kind of mentality. Uh, just as a, a preface, I was not as informed on the, Co- the the Koch brothers as I am now in 2016. And frankly, they make my skin crawl that I ever voted for a libertarian. Um, that doesn't change the fact that I did. Because uh-huh. I have was so committed to this idea of why can't Nader ever win if, if, if enough people followed their heart and didn't just say I'm voting red or I'm voting blue and actually picked the candidate who best aligned with their issues, even if it wasn't personal, why couldn't it be the thir- the, the bronze medal runner up? And I don't intend to do that for this upcoming election. I will check Mark Joe Biden's name with a fucking smile for, for very much the same reason that you, you've described
1: (sighs) and and even oh see i'm gonna i'm gonna grumble about it the entire time i'm gonna do it oh, but sure. i'm not gonna stop complaining
0: sure 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 <laughs> see i'll do it and i'll have a smile because uh just imagine the second wave of biden and the white house memes like somebody's gonna take a picture of him on the phone and it's gonna be hey 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 barack come on over and have a sleepover for old time's sake and those give oh, that those give me great joy <laughs> That warmed my heart a little bit. Thank you. Right? <laughs> uh. Uh, beyond that, and, and this is this is the optimist in me coming out, like, the thing that you, the listener, can do is treat the people in your sphere with kindness and with dignity and with help. And find out the ways that you yourself can make your neighborhood better in, in the ways you can, no matter who's going to be in the white house, there are going to be extenuating factors, you know, much as I wish we could sometimes. Um, we're not about to mass storm the, the, um, the camps that children are in, like it's fucking area 51, we can make our own circles reflect the way we, we want them to be. And, and if you're listening to this, if you're a fan of our show, I'm assuming you're the kind of person who is going to try to lift your own personal circle up. For the betterment of society as a whole and you're not about to take this advice as um a reason why you should grab a tiki torch and join the next march i mean alex you say it at the end of every episode or, or at least you've said it enough times that it, it sticks in my head you know be kind to each other tell your enemies but be safe be well be kind <laughs> and tell the people who voted for trump <sighs>
1: I do have one thought, Yeah. and I didn't put this in the notes, but I have thought of it as, like, if we've convinced you that the two-party system in the United States is something to be fought tooth and nail, um, and I hope we have. I'm on my third glass of wine. I feel <laughs> like I've been convincing. Maybe I'm wrong. But I do have something that is not a proper, like, not a proper instantaneous solution, but... It might help just a little bit. We put so much emphasis on federal power. I said I said earlier in this episode that my solution to that 51% versus like 25% question is why does the federal power, why does the person at the top have so much authority? Uh, and that's me being anti-authoritarian. I think we should all be a little more anti-authoritarian these days, but that's just me. Um, But so much power is still resting at the local level, at your city, your county, your municipality. And if there is any ability for something outside of the, Democrat Republican stronghold that can do anything it's gonna be at a local level yeah so the philosophy I've taken and you're well y'all are welcome to adopt this if you if it helps you if it doesn't you know say la vie get some therapy try and get some counseling it'll probably help you um, I say that I say that every episode basically but um, <laughs> But in all seriousness, every, all but the most remote counties have extemporaneous party communities. There are socialist parties in the United States. There's the Green Party. There is, there's stuff you haven't even heard of, yo. Like, legitimately. Look them up. Try and help them out. Try and spend some time in those political communities. Encourage those candidates. Get them elected to school board, older person, city council, low-level governmental jobs that, frankly, will have a bigger impact on your day-to-day life than the president often will. And it might not happen in your lifetime. It might not it almost certainly won't because historically speaking you know we've had two parties in this country since its founding and the two parties we have right now we've had for 170 years closing in um maybe more i think more actually now that i think of it uh you might not see the end of a two-party system in your lifetime but you can support people who are a little more closely aligned to you at a local level. And that's how this shit builds momentum. You know, right now we have two people in the Senate who have at varying points declared themselves politically socialists. That's Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. One of them is an independent who caucuses with Democrats. The other one declared herself a Democrat, despite stating openly that she identifies as a socialist It's not hopeless, but it is a slow fucking climb. We don't know what the future is going to look like. If we can escape the claws of authoritarianism and on some basic level just add a little bit of fire to something outside of the two-party system that exists and continue to take the two-party system and push them whether that's trying to push your democrats more left or trying to find creative ways to get your republicans to give a shit do the thing yeah local politics is big politics still and it's boring but it's important and we give too much attention and too much power to the top so put some attention and power at the bottom Bottom up approach. Hey, if nothing else, it's a middle finger to Ronald Reagan.
0: Sign me up. You, yeah, I'm like God, what a sealer! What a, what a deal sealer! <laughs>
1: <laughs> should get drunk on podcasts more often? <laughs> no, I shouldn't. It's really not a good idea. All of you should be very mindful of your alcohol intake while in the quarr. It's not good for
0: you. No. No, but it it gets you through. Yeah. <laughs> your drunkenness aside, I I really appreciate <laughs> I, I really appreciate your your point and your sentiment that that feels like the more impactful thing I'm trying to say is not just hey, be be the shining beacon you want to see in your world, but you know part of that is like figuring out what your local level politicians and, and who you can help and how you can help, you know, it's also like, like you say, it's, it's dealing with the small, tough, small stuff. It's going to a soup kitchen. It's going to a PTA meeting and helping like the person you think that is going to teach your kids, right? The best get on that school board. It's, it is the little stuff. I think I think it's time for some trickle up like societal change.
1: Do little things that help out, you know. Uh, the thing I like to tell like to suggest especially Andy, you're an example of this, especially for tall white dudes <laughs> is uh go volunteer to clinic escort at a planned parenthood. Mm. They're Always looking for people to escort. You show up. You put on the jack. You put on a little. You go to a training. Proper training. But you just go. You wear the little jacket. And you walk people past the protesters into the Planned Parenthood. Because the protesters are there. And they're monsters. But you can do a little bit of good for somebody. And with a tall white dude. Oh my god. The power you have.
0: (laughs) Absolutely man. If you
1: don't want. If you don't want to do that, just find a thing you can do. And sometimes that's calling your representatives. Sometimes that's supporting a third party at a local level. At its bare minimum, it's voting. Um, I think this last election, just like every last election since the late 19th century, more people, like if if no no vote were a candidate, it would win by a landslide um and that's true every single damn year so do the thing whatever that thing is just pick a thing to do
0: absolutely um and you know maybe that thing is writing into your uh, a beloved podcast of yours and <laughs> asking them your relationship questions i i couldn't stop myself that was the lowest hanging fruit. And it's so juicy and delicious that, that That was so smooth. Hell I love yeah. you. I'm not even mad about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So no question this time, but most episodes of love, hate relationship, when we don't spend the entirety, uh, you know, railing against the things that we hate or love, uh, we take your relationship questions and you can send those into love, hate relationship podcast at gmail.com, where we promise we'll read them.
1: Absolutely. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom. Um, I hope you don't think I took any shots at you, but also you've told me that you've been having trouble actually hearing the podcast, so maybe I should call TuneIn Radio and make sure that they're still getting us uh either way i love you you're amazing and i'll call you in the morning uh you can also tweet us i call my mother at least once a week you can also tweet us at lhr pod that's L H R P-O-D with your questions and follow us there to keep up with new episodes
0: that's right um I mentioned the movie Bullworth this episode, and I don't know if it's considered a cult movie, but if it is, you might hear me talk about it on my other show, Cult Fiction, that I do with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson, Uh, and you can find that all the same places. We talk about cult movies, and it's a fun time. You can also find me, Andy Bowell, uh, on Twitter, at jovocop2113.
1: And I'm at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, y'all. I know this one got kind of heady. <laughs> I know this one got kind of ranty. We'll be back to your normally scheduled program in a couple of weeks. But honestly, take care of yourselves. We love you. You're a wonderful audience. And please, as always, tell your enemies.
0: hello internet friends and welcome back to love hate relationship an opinionated podcast where we why do i feel like you say that part
1: (laughs) i have never said that part andrew and now we know what we're putting at the end of the episode